0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today's gospel reading is one that makes us all pretty nervous. Divorce is a fairly taboo topic, despite how common a thing it seems to be. So hearing someone bring it up makes us anxiously squirm a bit, especially if that someone bringing it up is Jesus. Because either you yourself... divorced, your parents are divorced, someone else close to you has gone through a divorce, or maybe you are married and you fear that simply given the statistics that divorce may be in your future, it crosses your mind in one way or another. And so the pain of divorce is a pain that touches all of us. And um, my family tree and close-knit group of friends are certainly no exception to this, but I'm also particularly nervous about this topic and speaking about it from the pulpit today because I know how painful the topic can be and how quickly we can feel judged and how swiftly we can be filled with shame at just the sound of the word divorce. So I'm going to offer a little bit of relief to us all right up here at the top of this sermon by saying that I promise what Jesus is saying and revealing to us ultimately in this passage is actually a deep word of comfort and grace for you, regardless of your marital or family history, regardless of what season of life you find yourself in, Jesus' words are for you, I promise, and they're good words of hope and peace. So let's take a little bit of a closer look at what's going on in this passage from the Gospel of Mark. In it we see Jesus once again being tested by the Pharisees, uh, by the Pharisees who truly don't care about Jesus' actual answer to this question on divorce. Instead, they just want to be sure that Jesus is keeping to the legal standards uh, set by Moses and followed by the Israelites for thousands of years. And Jesus, of course, knows this. He knows that they're testing him in this way. And so he responds to their question with a question. He says, what did Moses command you, Jesus asks, And they respond, well, Moses allowed for a man to write a certificate and get a divorce. The background here in the sort of cultural context is important, I think. Because what they're referring to and what Jesus calls out as the hardness of their hearts is that Moses allows a sort of loophole here in the law that allows for a man, just a man, to divorce his wife for any conceivable reason that's convenient for him. Maybe he didn't like the way that the food tasted or the way that she looked at him or another man and he was allowed through this sort of loophole to get a divorce. And the issue that Jesus sees with this is twofold. For starters, the Pharisees and many before and after them are guilty of viewing marriage as Moses' institution first and foremost, as a human legal institution that can be manipulated and wiggled out of. And the second issue is that what would happen to a woman in this time and place who was divorced? who the the woman would become destitute, they would be cast out and they would be looked upon as somewhat of a, um, they would be looked at as an adulterer, they would be treated as such, they would be treated essentially as a prostitute in this world. Terrible place for a woman to find themselves or anyone. And these two problems are certainly related. Because if marriage is a human institution, then whoever finds themselves in the place of power in a relationship will use that power against their spouse without being questioned. This was a terrible thing 2,000 years ago, and unfortunately it still is a problem that goes on today. And so Jesus calls all this out as wrong. He says marriage is not Moses' institution, it's God's institution. From the beginning of creation, he says God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus is putting us all back on the same playing field, male and female, husband and wife. If a man leaves his wife, he's committed adultery, Jesus says, and if she leaves her husband, she's committed adultery. Everyone is the same in the eyes of Jesus here, which is really good and powerful news. But there's also no doubt that this is a painful and heavy word from Jesus. He's saying to the Pharisees, to the husbands and wives, you're both adulterers. Once again, Jesus is elevating the law beyond where Moses held the law, where there was some wiggle room. There's no wiggle room with Jesus. He's elevating the law just as he did on the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus is not doing so in order to shame us all. He's simply not letting anyone off the hook from the profound pain and suffering that comes with every separation and marriage separation and other relationships. Marriage is God's institution, and when that union is broken, regardless of the reasons, regardless if there was an affair or some disagreement and with irreconcilable differences or, God forbid, some form of domestic violence that led someone to have to separate and leave. Jesus is not saying you should feel shame. Instead, he's naming the uncomfortable truth that you do feel pain in the separation. There's no way around that. And this is where the good news of this passage comes in. I promised you that it would. You see, Jesus is elevating the law and naming the suffering that surrounds every divorce. Because by highlighting the bitter taste of our helplessness before the law, He's directing us to the sweetness of his grace. We're all helpless to heal ourselves from the wounds brought on by divorce and broken relationships. But in this difficult passage from the Gospel of Mark today, we aren't left alone in our helplessness. We aren't left alone in our shame or pain or loneliness. Instead, Jesus calls the children to himself, we see. Let the little children come to me is the, pa- the, the way that this passage ends. Let the little children come to me, not because they're innocent, but because they, the children, just like us, are people in desperate need. It's to people in desperate need that the kingdom of God belongs. Yes, to the children, to the messy, crying, and lost, little, and grown-up children of God. This is who the kingdom of God belongs to, to sinners like you and me who have been forgiven, who have reached out to God in desperate need like a child, desperate for a touch and for a word of mercy. And that's exactly what we're given in the 1979 film, Kramer vs. Kramer, you catch a glimpse of this grace at work in the, the suffering that goes on in life and in, in divorce and marriage relationships. When you watch this movie, I would say, be sure that you have some tissues close by because I cry about every five minutes when I watch it. But I do think it's a movie worth watching. It's a movie about Ted and Joanna Kramer played by Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep. Joanna tells her husband Ted towards the beginning of the film that she's leaving him and she's leaving their son Billy so that she can figure things out in her life so that she can find herself. And Ted goes on after she leaves to fail and succeed and connect with his son in beautiful and painful ways now as a single father until Joanna ends up returning, and she says that she's back and that she wants her son back. So a heated custody battle follows, hence the title of the movie, Kramer vs. Kramer. And you see the wounds deepened that were caused by the separation. At one point in the movie, Ted goes to a park in New York City with Billy and with a neighbor named Margaret. Margaret is another single parent who actually helped convince Joanna to leave Ted in the first place. And they've become friends, though, as they commiserate together about the struggles, uh, the failures, of, and the frustrations, and some of the joys of single parenthood. They sit there on the bench in this scene, laughing about an unsuccessful date that Margaret had just gone on the night before. And as they sit there playing, they notice that Billy is playing up on one of these old uh, playgrounds made out of metal in New York City. And he's up at the top of the playground, uh, or sort of play set, uh, holding a plastic airplane. And Ted sort of sees it and they continue talking about uh, all of their sort of frustrations and they're laughing about it and they're distracted. And Ted sees that Billy's sort of teetering up at the top there. And he says, Billy, come down from there. And then Margaret says, I'll, I'll take care of it. And she sort of stands up and walks over, but they're still talking. They're still um, sharing their their lives uh, and stories together. And as they're talking, of course, Billy falls. He falls down from the top and hits his face on the airplane, on the ground. There's a crash and you see Ted just run over. And then instantly the scene shifts and you see Ted holding his son, Billy, and literally running through the streets of New York in a panic. And you can see that Billy's face is covered in blood and and he's running through the streets and he's dodging cars and traffic and he's yelling, where's the emergency room? Where's the emergency room? And he finally finds it and he runs inside. And then there's just this incredibly sad and powerful scene where the doctor says that Billy's gonna need some stitches. And he asks him to, he asked Ted to leave. And, and Ted says, if you're gonna be putting stitches in my son's face, I'm gonna be right there. And You see him holding his son's head and they're both crying. And, and then after that, it shifts to another scene, the next scene where Ted's reading Billy a book in his bed at night and Billy's fallen asleep and Ted closes the book and he walks out and he's still wearing the sweatshirt that he was wearing from earlier in the day and it still has Billy's blood and his own tears all over it and he steps into the little kitchen in their New York City apartment and Margaret's still there this friend who is standing at the kitchen sink trying to do some dishes as she holds back tears. And Ted walks in and she just immediately begins to apologize. And she just says, I just, I feel so bad. That was all my fault. And Ted just sort of smiles and says, that that wasn't your fault. And as she continues to just just cry and, and, and you can just see the anxiety and this feeling of shame that Margaret has as she stands there at the kitchen sink. Ted changes the subject. Ted says, you know, Margaret, I've been thinking. He still has blood on his sweatshirt. She still has blood on her on her sweater. Margaret, I've been thinking, if something were to happen to me, I'm not saying it's going to, or it will anytime soon, but if something does, I've been thinking that I want you to take care of Billy. Margaret just sort of pauses with shock He says, I want you to take care of Billy. Margaret, you're a good mother. You're a good mother. And he walks up next to her and pats her on the back. And as they stand there with blood and tears on their sweatshirts, they go on doing the dishes. In the midst of her shame, In the midst of that, Ted reaches out to her with a touch and with a word of grace. Margaret, you're a good mother. Maybe you feel like a helpless child, bloodied and bruised from a fall of some sort, or perhaps you feel more like a parent full of shame and equally helpless to protect and provide for the ones that you love in the way that you feel like you should and you desperately want to. Well, Jesus says that it's to you that the kingdom of God belongs. It's to people like you and me with our sweatshirts covered in blood and tears that the kingdom of God belongs to. On the cross, Jesus' arms were opened wide, taking the weight and the shame of our lives off of our hearts and placing them onto his. On the cross, Jesus' arms were opened wide, calling, gathering, and pulling all of his desperate little children unto him and into his place of mercy and peace. It's to people like you and me broken, sad, looking and longing for hope and mercy and forgiveness. It's to people like you and me that the kingdom of God belongs. It's to people like you and me that Jesus reaches out to and heals and forgives and redeems. Amen.